Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Trinity Church in Carryville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, please visit our website, trinity901.com. So it always works very well when I have a sermon illustration that involves my wife and she is not here. That is great providence that God has offered to me this morning. Many years ago, we had a, some time in between me finishing seminary and starting a new role in Jackson, Mississippi at a church and Vicki transfer, transferring her job from Central Florida to Jackson, Mississippi. And we decided to grab two backpacks and we went to Western Europe. And we made our way around several countries through plane, train, and automobile. It was a wonderful and glorious experience. And one of the things that I learned about my wife is that trains make her fall asleep instantly. The sound, the motion, the comfortable chairs, they have really nice trains in Europe. She falls asleep instantly. So we were on a train and we were headed to Munich and we were flying home. And within seconds, she fell asleep. Well, guess what? I did too. And we missed our stop at the international airport. And we rode the train all the way out into the country to a very rural stop somewhere in Germany. And I'll never forget this lady shaking us and waking us up. And the sheer terror that filled our hearts knowing that we had missed our flight home to America and what that would cost to get home. So we made our way back to the airport. We didn't even run to the kiosk because we knew we were so late that the plane was gone. We get there and the young lady informs us miraculously that our plane is still there. How is this possible? How is this possible? So we make our way to the plane, and as we are standing in line, I realize there are about a hundred soldiers from the United States Army that are returning from their deployment in Iraq. And they held the plane up and informed the passengers that these men were returning from battle and going home. And we only made our flight because of them. And so we go and we sit down and there's a a lady sitting beside me. And she had her hands over her face as we boarded and as we sat. And I realized that she was weeping. I thought perhaps a relative had passed away and she was going home. As I began to talk to her, I realized that she was a German who was simply going to the United States to visit family, that everything was okay. So I thought that perhaps she was afraid of flying. I began to talk to her further, and what transpired was her unbelievable fear of a terrorist attack on the plane. 
This was just a few years removed from 9-11. And she was shaking, and she was crying, and I was very concerned for her and what might happen when we get up in the air. And then it dawned on me. And I said, ma'am, I want you to stand up for a second. Again, she had had her hands over her face when everyone boarded. I said, I want you to stand up and I want you to look across the plane. I said, do you see all these young men with tightly cut hair? She shook her head. And I said, ma'am, those are soldiers in the United States Army. And my best guess is there are a hundred of them. This means that you are probably on the safest airplane in terms of a terrorist attack that will cross the Atlantic Ocean today. You are in the midst of the fighting men of the United States Army. There's no place I would rather be. And that took a load off of her shoulders. You could see the relief come over her face. She was surrounded and she was protected. And so we come to our text today and Zechariah is saying to us, he's saying to Israel as they've returned to the land and they've been called to rebuild the temple, he's prophesying to them and he's saying, know that whatever you're facing that your God promises that He will be in your midst. That He is with you. We see that in particular in verse 5. We've come to the third night vision. I on accident said last week that the vision regarding the horns was the third vision and the one about the craftsman was the fourth I apologize, that's the horns and the craftsmen are one vision. That's the third vision. Excuse me, that's the second vision. We've now come to the third night vision of Zechariah. We are going to look at the third vision today and the week after next. And so I want us to jump in and look at verse 1 and 2. We see the measuring man of Jerusalem. Who is the measuring man? Well, Meredith Klein, a noted Old Testament professor who was, a, who was a pastor in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. He was a seminary teacher at RTS and Westminster Seminary. He says without question that this measuring man is the same person that we see in the first night vision on the horse amongst the myrtle trees in the valley. And that man is the pre-incarnate Jesus. It is the Son of God. It is our Messiah. It is our Redeemer. It is an appearance of our Savior before the dawning of the New Testament. And so here he is again in this vision and he is going to measure Jerusalem. Now this should cause you to stop and to think about Jeremiah chapter 31 where we see the new covenant prophesied by Jeremiah. 
It is a renewed covenant that will be greater than all of the covenants in the Old Testament. All of those covenants are leading to the final and ultimate and glorious and wonderful covenant in Christ. Jesus is the architect and master builder of the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem. Because of this new covenant, Jesus is going to measure. And this is imagery of this new city, this new Jerusalem, this new place that will be for God's people. This new and special place. So, if you have your Bibles... Let's go back to Jeremiah chapter 31 and let's look at verse 38 through 40 as we think about the man with the measuring tape, as we think about the new covenant in Christ, as we think about the promises that have been made in the Old Testament to God's people. It will help us better understand what the pre-incarnate Jesus is up to in this third night vision. So that's Jeremiah 31, beginning with verse 38. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the city shall be rebuilt for the Lord from, excuse me, the city shall be rebuilt for the Lord from the tower of Hanel to the corner gate. And the measuring line shall go out farther, straight to the hill of Gareb, and shall then turn to Goa. The whole valley of the dead bodies and the ashes and all the fields as far back as the brook Kidron to the corner of the horse gate toward the east shall be sacred to the Lord. It shall not be plucked up or overthrown any more forevermore. Forever. So what Jeremiah is saying is that a measuring line is going to go out and is going to measure the new Jerusalem, and this new Jerusalem will be expansive. It will be large. It will be greater than the Jerusalem from before. And then it says in the very last verse, in verse 40, it shall not be plucked up or overthrown anymore forever. Do you know how significant and important that is to the exilic community? The people who have come back to Jerusalem, their city has been destroyed. They have felt the oppressive weight of two foreign regimes. Israel in the north, Judah in the south. They have seen complete and total and ultimate and final defeat. And here they are, trying to rebuild the temple. And as they're standing amidst the rubble and destruction, they have to be thinking, where is our protection? We are in an unsafe, vulnerable environment. We are easy pickings. And so this new covenant promises that this great, expansive city, this beautiful, this wonderful new city that God is going to build for His people will never be plucked up or overthrown 
any more. How long is that promise made? That promise is made forever. And so when Zechariah has his vision and he communicates it to the exilic community in Jerusalem and he mentions the measuring line, they would have thought of the new covenant. And they would have understood the promises of God that He is telling them that something great is going to happen, that something great is going to take place, and that this city will be beyond what they can possibly understand or imagine. Verse 3. And behold, the angel who talked with me came forward, and another angel came forward to meet him and said, To him, run, say to that young man, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls. Again, echoing the new covenant. This is going to be a safe place for you, for God's people. You will no longer be attacked. You will no longer be destroyed. You will no longer be taken into captivity. Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. End of verse 4. They could not fully understand what exactly this meant, but the enormity of this new city, this, this place that cannot be fully measured, that will spill out beyond the walls into the suburbs, is looking forward to the promise that God's people are going to be both Jewish and Gentile. That the kingdom of God is coming in all its fullness and, it, and the gospel will go out throughout the world. And people all over the globe will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It will spill out beyond the Jerusalem that you can understand. Verse 5, And I will be to her a wall of fire all around, declares the Lord, and I will be the glory in her midst. So when you think about a wall of fire, your first inclination is to consider protection. Nobody wants to walk through a flaming wall. That would be terrible. That would be disastrous. But the imagery in the Old Testament is a bit different. What this vision is communicating is a people that have been set apart. It takes us back to Genesis chapter 3. So let's go there. Go all the way to the very beginning of your Bible. And I want you to understand better what this wall of fire might mean. So let's look at Genesis chapter 3, beginning with verse 22. We're going to read through verse 24. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life." So man has sinned, man has rebelled against God, and they have been removed from His intimate presence in the garden, which represents perfection. 
It represents holiness. It represents God's presence on earth. Stay away. Remove. Distance. And God places a flaming sword to separate these rebellious, sinful people from the Garden of Eden. Again, separate, holy. And so the imagery that we're seeing in this night vision is that in the new covenant, what God is going to do for His people is He is going to surround them with His holy presence because guess what? They have now been made holy. And they are allowed to dwell with Him in this expansive city forevermore. Unbelievable prophetic imagery that's often lost on us because we live in safe homes and we go to our garages and we open the door and we drive in this safe town to this safe YMCA and we have comfortable worship here. We're not standing in the ruins of Jerusalem and hope is seemingly lost. We're not standing in the ruins feeling vulnerable that at any moment a foreign nation may destroy us. That they put people in chains and took them into slavery. We don't believe that that is ever going to happen to us. And their relatives that they love dearly are still in exile. And they do not have a Davidic king ruling over them. And the glory of Jerusalem is gone. Yet God makes promises to them through Zechariah. And He makes promises to them through Jeremiah. Look what I'm going to do for you. Because you are my people and I love you. I promise you. I'm going to transform this city in a way in which you cannot possibly imagine forevermore. And you are going to dwell in my presence in perfection. You will be made holy. Do you know how hard this would have been for them to understand? In light of how they have violated the covenant, the sins that they've committed, the rebellion they've committed, it should be that hard for us to grasp in light of our own sin and wickedness and rebellion. God, you would really do that for me? These are great covenant promises that God is making through these prophets to His people and to us. Three things that I want you to see. They all start with G. The gracious King, the glorious King, the goodness of the King. The gracious King. God does not have to do this. God could have left His people in exile. We turned our backs on Him. We sinned against Him. We did not want anything to do with Him. We mocked Him. We loved other gods. On a daily basis, we love ourselves more than Him. He is gracious. He invites us back to Himself. He brings us back to Himself. And He bestows upon us the blessings of the covenant that Christ has earned. You will be My people. You will be forgiven. You will be adopted. You will be loved. You are Mine. You will dwell with Me forever. You will be holy. So gracious. And God is glorious. 
He's our glorious king. Look at verse 5. He says, I will be to her a wall of fire, declares the Lord, and I will be the glory in her midst. God is going to be with us. We are going to experience His glory. The glory that Moses couldn't handle. The glory that Isaiah couldn't handle. We are going to be able to enter into the presence of God and His glory forevermore and we will be allowed to live. That's how glorious and gracious our King is. I know what you've done. I love you anyway. Come home. Come home. And then we see the goodness of the King. The imagery of rebuilding the city in Jeremiah. The imagery of rebuilding the city in Zechariah. Coming to the New Testament and realizing it's more than just a physical city in the Middle East. That it's the recreation of all things to the glory of God where He's going to redo and restore and renew everything that we have messed up a return to a more to a perfect garden in his presence and so in light of that here John 14:1 through 6 let not your hearts be troubled this is Jesus speaking believe in God believe also in me in my father's house are many rooms if it were not so would i have told you that i go to prepare a place for you And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Here is the man with the measuring line. Here is the carpenter. Here is the one who is building the new Jerusalem. The way, the truth, and the life. And what he is telling us is I am the fulfillment of Jeremiah 31. I am the fulfillment of Zechariah 2. I am building a glorious and marvelous city that people from all over the globe will dwell in forevermore. There are many rooms. To use a word that we often float around in my own home, it will be ginormous. I don't know that that's an actual word in the English lexicon. Ginormous. Because we have a loving and gracious and glorious and good King who wants us to be in His presence forevermore. And so the message that the people in the day in which the prophet and the priest Zechariah lived looked forward to that promise and so do we. That perfect city. The place with many rooms for us. And that reservation belongs to us through faith in Him. And I hope that all of you this morning can say in your heart of hearts, 
that Jesus is waiting on you. Take that to heart. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for your word, which is truth. We thank you, King Jesus, that you are gracious and that you are good and that you are glorious. And we thank you for the promises that you make to your people. Promises of old that were renewed and fulfilled and will one day be complete. God, help us to rest in the knowledge and the surety of your good word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your gracious act on our behalf on the cross. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.